Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So, again, the Sunday school class, The Reward of Children and How to Parent Within a Treasured Marriage, Part 1. So, God does indeed provide a joyous promise of children. Psalm 127 begins this way. Unless the Lord builds the house, they who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen awake in vain. It is futile for you to rise early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of painful labor. This is how he gives to his beloved sleep. And then focusing in on parenting, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Notice a few very obvious things here. It is a gift to have children. It is a blessed thing. The fruit of the womb is described as a reward. They are like arrows in the hands of a warrior for the outlook and tool for success and in life. The man who has many children is blessed. Society at large and even fools recognize the blessings of children according to this passage. There are Christians who are bothered by how our world is headed and have decided to not have any children. We need to remind ourselves of who is in charge. Isaiah 25, 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. For you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. There is a pastor in Uganda, Pastor Benjamin Niziyama. He is the senior pastor of the Kingdom and Righteousness Life Ministries International. And he says this for those people who fear having children in our day and age. Don't feel sorry for or fear for your kids because the world they are going to grow up in is not what it used to be. Don't be scared for your children, but trust God that he chose you to parent the generation that will face personal and societal threats previously unknown. God isn't scratching his head wondering what he's going to do with this mess of a world. Don't let you, your fear steal the greatness God places in your hands and in them. I know it's hard to imagine them as anything besides our sweet little babies, and we just want to protect them from anything that could ever be harm to them, but... They were born for such a time as this. God created them and calls them for this exact moment in time. Their life isn't a coincidence or an accident. Every person in all of history has been placed in time that they were in because of God's sovereign plan. Don't teach them to be fearful and disheartened by the state of the world, but hopeful that they can do something about it. Empower them to know they can change the world. God created them specifically. And God gave you your child specifically for whatever challenge they face in their life. Rise up to the challenge. God was with Daniel and his friends. Daniel in the lion's den. God enabled him to be faithful in ways that impacted even the story of the nativity. 
the wise men that came from the east, they were the remnant of Daniel's impact upon the society of Babylon. Daniel brought with him the sacred scriptures and taught the Babylonian wise men about the coming Messiah. And so they looked in the heavens for the sign and sought out the Messiah that was promised in the scripture. That's the impact of a godly young man named Daniel. God equipped David with the experience, tools, and confidence that God would handle Goliath. He empowered Esther to withstand Haman. He prepared Peter and Paul to handle persecution. So we are to raise Daniels, Davids, Esthers, Peters, and Pauls. We are to raise them to desire to be children of God, to train them up thoroughly in the authority of God's word. We are to teach them to walk in faith knowing that God is in control. He has an army he is raising up to drive back the darkness and make him known over all the earth. If you'd like, let me know. I'll happy to send you uh, what this dear pastor had written. Well, there is a cultural shift of marriage and adulthood. <clears throat> There's a pattern today of the delay of marriage. You're finding that more Americans are getting married for the first time in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. Research shows that the first rates of first marriage and midlife have increased by 74% for women and 45% for men between 1990 and 2019. Well, there are three primary reasons behind that change in the universal drive. That universal drive focuses historically, first, because marriage is one of the unique, well, not unique and central, I should say, non-negotiable hallmarks of adulthood. And as adulthood gets pushed further and further along, marriage is delayed. Number two, people need to get married. Sex outside of marriage was not sanctioned by the societies, not only merely defined by God and made clear in Scripture as sin. So in as far as you had a society that said, we understand that sexual activities are limited to marriage, well, amazingly enough, young people tended to get married. Number three, again, historically, the community, the neighborhood, the town, the nation needs young couples to have babies and to invest the time, attention, and devotion necessary to raise them in order that society would not only be continued but would be strengthened. The marriage vows that follow the common book of prayer reflect that as society is successful and thrives by young people marrying and having children. Now, people who are getting married in their 50s and 60s are not expected to populate nurseries. Now, nobody's saying that getting married at that age is wrong, but it's just not common, and it is a recent social phenomenon. There are two factors, two key factors in understanding children. There are the external factors and the internal. Now, the external factor is the cultural shift in childhood. Life is, frankly, no longer simple or centered in the home. It's no longer centered in the family as a close-knit and only marginally influenced unit that is influenced from the outside in a limited way. There was a time when people 
grew up in a home. They were probably an agrarian society. Even if they went to school, it was nearby. The teachers were local, and they had an influence that was reflected by the sensibilities of the home. Even families in more urban areas had a predominant influence in the home and family. Parents, churches, schools, and community standards established for childhood education followed a very narrow path of controlling information that would be given to children. There were secrets that children didn't know and shouldn't know, and it was important in raising children to unfold these secrets at reasonable times so they were not blasted with things for which they were either intellectually or emotionally able to make a proper response. That wall has ended. Childhood as we know it is disappearing or has almost disappeared. Differences in clothing, entertainment, and even games. Today's children dress like adults, play copies of adult games without fun and imagination. And many times these changes have been for the reputation of gloating parents. So, instead of Sandlot Baseball, you have heavily regulated and organized adult games where children have uniforms, empires, uh, umpires, and you know, strict protocols. Children are dressing like adults. Picture there is of a young girl dressed like the prostitute from the movie Pretty Woman. That's accepted. Uh, how many of you moms have had trouble finding modest clothes for your daughters? And then there's behavior and language and attitude and desires. And all these things now are basically indistinguishable between children and adults. Children don't talk like children. They talk and have attitudes like adults. Many are crying now for equal rights for children because they're nothing other than short and light adults. In the past, we were convinced children needed to be protected. They needed to be processed in a series of sequential developmental opportunities. Parents and teachers with shared sensitivities would decide what the children heard, what they saw, and when in their development they heard and saw. But then came electronics and media. Television is absolutely undifferentiated in its accessibility. Television has a massive influence on children. Consider this. Three million children are watching television every night of the year between 11 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. 2.1 million children between 11.30 p.m. and 12 a.m. 1.1 million between 12 midnight and 1 a.m. Somewhere around 70, 750,000 children every night are watching television between 1 a.m. and 1.30 a.m., which is supposedly the time when most adult television is being presented. And today, Drag Queen Story Hour is applauded as good, wholesome entertainment and enlightenment to develop open-minded, accepting, and unbiased children who entertain thoughts of gender fluidity. <clears throat> One drag queen reading to children said this, 
They often have lots and lots of questions. Are you really a queen? How do you get the glitter to stick to your face? Have you ever met a dragon? But they immediately understand the playful possibilities without being weighed down by societal norms and cultural baggage. I invite kids and their caregivers to try on some of the things queens are known for, swishing their hips, snapping their fingers and shouting, Yes, queen! Another drag queen recognizes that this is indoctrination. Drag queen story hour is not normal or healthy fun. She says this, I have absolutely no idea why you would want drag queens to influence your child. Would you want a stripper or porn star to influence your child? Children don't know what's okay and what's not until we tell them. They count on the adults in their lives to not put them in harm's way. Now remember, this is a male dressing up in a garish way, which frankly to me is absolutely demeaning to women and denigrates women and doesn't exalt the role and the beauty that God has designed to be in the female sex. And the result is tragic. You have children without the ability to handle the information they're exposed to. Violent crime from children has gone up in a dramatic way. Matter of fact, 11,000% between 1980 and, I'm sorry, 1950, during the time of the introduction of television, in 1980, there was an 11,000% increase in crimes committed by children 14 and under. And we're talking serious crimes. In New York City, a nine-year-old boy tried to hold up a bank. Kim and I went to school in Westchester County, about a half hour north of the city. And in 1981, in July, police charged four boys, the oldest being 13 years old, with a rape of a seven-year-old girl. In Vermont, the arrest of two teenagers in connection with rape, torture, and killing of a 12-year-old drove state legislature to propose hardening all juvenile codes. Birth to teenagers continually rises, particularly in the age group between 13 and 17. Millions of babies born every year illegitimately to teenage children Babies being born, we read about occasionally to 12 and 13-year-olds. And it's not all by non-consensual violent act. Alcohol, drugs, and obviously a large part of consumption is being monitored and entering into statistics. I won't labor through them. The world can indeed see children as burdensome. They're expensive. If you surveyed children about having, people about having children, they might tell you they have some resistance about having children because it's expensive. They're time-consuming. They might say it's also very time-consuming. If you have any personal goals or personal desires, or personal plans, interests of any sort, they're going to take a back seat to, do the, to the demands of children. They wear you out. Some people would say parenting is challenging because it calls for such focus on their child and their activities. They take away time that I would otherwise use to focus on me. And I suppose that there are other challenges as well. Well, what's 
the solution from the world. What is the world going to do and say about the behavior of children? Well, the psychologists got together and they came up with a solution right out of hell. And they said that the problem with children is that they lack self-esteem. If any of you have ever been involved in prison ministries, going to jails or prisons and sharing the gospel with individuals who are incarcerated, you'll find that there's no lack of self-esteem there. You've heard the expression that the jails are filled with lots of innocent people. Well, the jails are absolutely filled with people who have very high regard for themselves. It's interesting that there has been a pushback now from even secular psychologists. Newhouse News Service recently sent an article to, to subscribing newspapers. The title of it was, Note to California, Drop Self-Esteem. And it basically says that self-esteem is not helpful and beneficial. Even though Whitney Houston had that lovely song, The Greatest Love of All, you heard it sung. Do you have the ability to remember the lyrics? Everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfilled my needs, so I learned to depend on me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself, it is the greatest gift of all. So the world's solutions are confusing and contradictory. Well, let's look instead, shall we? Instead of the external factors, let's look at the internal factor. How does God understand children? Well, what do we mean by that? Well, children may be ignorant when they come into the world. They may be naive. They may be inexperienced, unexperienced. They may be cute, but they're not innocent with regard to evil. You're familiar with these two passages. Psalm 58, verse 3. The wicked are estranged from the womb, and those who speak lies go astray from birth. They have venom like the venom of a serpent. God's word describes our precious little ones like poisonous snakes. Psalm 51, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. He doesn't mean that he was an illegitimate child. He wasn't. What he means is, from his conception to his birth, he was iniquitous. He had what some people call original sin. That sin which was inherited from our forefathers, Adam and Eve. Now, understanding that truth, understanding the total depravity of our children, is the important practical foundation of all parenting. And you and I can be depraved people that have some control by common grace, and we can be taught morality and be raised up in a proper way, a loving way, a firm way, but still exhibit the sinfulness that's in our hearts. People can bring their children under control. But ultimately, what you and I desire to do as empty nesters and parents of grown children and grandparents or parents of young children in the home or people looking to be married and looking to the blessing of children. Our goal, our desire, is that our children pass from darkness to light. That's the chief goal. 
You want to see their hearts transformed so that instead of loving sin, they love righteousness. Instead of wanting to give full expression to evil desires, our offspring, our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, we want them to give full expression to what is honoring to God. Bodhi Bakum says, our kids are not the missionaries, they are the mission field. You and I agree that our children, from an early age, it's obvious that they're not holy little angels needing to be delicately handled so they don't get corrupted. You and I are corrupt from the beginning. So, what is God's pattern for parents? What is God's parents' pattern for parents? What do we do? Well, we begin at the beginning. And how do we change this? We have the external world coming at them. They have the internal problems themselves. One passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So you have the negative and you have the positive. Don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. First, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. It's God's pattern for parenting. There are lots of passages in the Scripture that are extremely helpful for various ages of parenting. And I am so thankful that we are, in the next quarter, going to have a class specifically on family, parenting, and children. I know that many of you have desired that. So this is just touching the highlights. So I apologize if I'm not diving in more deeply to an area that really needs attention in your life and in your family. But I would encourage you, if you have children, if you're looking forward to having children, attend the class next quarter. Justin and Mary Beth Guy are going to use some excellent tools that are available for us. And I do want to encourage you to, to attend that class. So, we're called to be separate from the world. We are called to be different. We don't do what the world does. We don't conduct our lives and our relationships in the way the world does. Leviticus chapter 18, when God established the standard of behavior for Israel, he pointed out that reality of uniqueness. This is what he said. You shall not do what is done in Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I'm bringing you. Do not walk in their statutes. And God has maintained this desire for his people through all time. We are to be separate. The standards, the practices, the principles, the commandments by which we conduct our lives before God and the family and before the world are unique. We are not to listen to the world's diagnosis of what might be wrong with people or marriages or families or children. We're to turn to the Word of God. Now, children are a heritage of the Lord. They're gifts from God. They are given to be to the praise of the glory and to be a blessing to us. But how often do, be, do they become a headache and heartbreak because God's pattern for parents is not properly followed? Clearly, the instruction in verse 4, Ephesians 6, 4, is given to both parents. The word in the Greek that's used in uh, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, is also used in different places to refer to both parents. 
and I think we all agree that both father and mother are responsible for and accountable to God for raising children. Now, the standard that's established, it's not only unique in our society, but it was unique in Paul's as well. If a father wanted, during the time of Paul, he could sell his children as slaves. A letter from Hilarion to his wife at 1 BC found in ancient sources says this, Hilarion to Elis' wife, heartiest greetings. Now, by the way, guys, like we talked about next week, don't, don't talk about your wife's nose as a tower of Lebanon overlooking Damascus, and don't refer to her in this way. Know that we are still even now in Alexandria, he writes, being away. Do not worry if when all others return, I remain in Alexandria. I beg and beseech you to take care of the little child. And as soon as we receive wages, he was a soldier, I will send him to you. If, good luck to you, you have a child. If it is a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it out. Unwanted children were commonly left in the forum in Rome. They were raised to be slaves or prostitutes. They were used in the games. By the way, if you go to Rome and you want to see the Colosseum, you will be told that Christians were not put to death there. It's a lie. Seneca, the well-known Roman curator, orator, said, We slaughter a fierce ox, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into the sickest cattle. Children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. Highest rate of abortion in the United States was 1.6 million, I think, in 1990. Um, But every year, over a million children, annually, Living children are beaten, burned, abused by their parents to such a degree that they have to be removed from their home. And some of you are involved in foster work. Much like people of Paul's day were involved in saving those children that were going to die from exposure. 2,000 children a year are killed by their parents through burning, drowning, being thrown off windows, uh, out of windows, off bridges, killed with knives, hammers, razor blades. You mention it. Time magazine reported in one survey that 70% of parents, if they had to do it all over again, would have no children. Too much of a nuisance. Too much of a burden. Well, a study was conducted several years ago covering a span of years by sociologists Sheldon and Gluck from Harvard. And they identified, after all the study, four crucial factors to be Uh, predicting children who were not delinquents. One, the father's firm, fair, and consistent training, discipline. Two, the mother's supervision in the home, knowing where the children are all the time, knowing what they're doing and being available to them. Three, the parents' unceasing affection demonstrated to each other and to the children frequently. And fourthly, the family's cohesiveness, time spent together. The negative response to parents is, don't provoke your children to anger. That's how the Word of God sums up what you don't want to do. You don't want your children mad, angry, bitter, hostile. You don't want them turning against you and all that you hold dear. Colossians adds the phrase, lest they be discouraged. 
you and I don't want to destroy our children. One-fourth of admissions to the psychiatric unit of Children's Hospital are suicide-related. So there are lots of children out there who feel that there's no hope. And we're called to be different. The first part of Ephesians 6.4 is that we are not to provoke our children to wrath. I put on your notes that there are ten ways to exasperate your children. I've actually given you a few more. They're free. Uh, no extra charge for that. You get what you pay for. So, As I said, I'm good for nothing. Uh, number one. Number one way to exasperate your children. Overprotection. Fence them in, never trust them. Don't give them the opportunity to develop independence. Children must have room to express themselves, discover their world, try a new adventure, and gradually releasing them to live independently. Let the rope out. Number two, you can do it by favoritism. Isaac favored Esau above Jacob. Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau. And the sad results are well known and documented in God's word. Don't compare them against each other. They're each unique. Love them the same without regard for each other, without special regard for each, no respecter of persons. Third, you can cause a child to become angry by setting unrealistic, unrealistic achievement goals. Some parents literally crush their children with pressure to excel in school, Sports, music, in any activity they do. I, I know a family member who, uh, who was trained by their parent in, uh, in a particular skill. And while that, that child did indeed excel, when the child left, the, uh, when the child left that parent's home, they basically rejected any use of that skill for quite a while. Some children under such pressure have killed themselves. Fourth, you can frustrate your child by overindulgence. Give them everything they want. Pick up after them always. Allow them to throw away all responsibility and accountability on others. Number five, you can exasperate your child by discouragement. That can come in two ways. A lack of understanding uh, and lack of reward, because both of those destroy motivation and incentive. We must seek to understand our children, understand why a certain thing happened, why a certain behavior occurred, why a certain incident went a certain way. Number six, failing to sacrifice for them. In other words, by making the child feel like they're an intrusion in our life, an interruption, and a bother. You just farm these kids out somewhere, let the television be their, be their parent. You know, if you're going on, moms and dads, if you're going to go do some chores, bring the child along. If you're going to run errands, take that time. Redeem that time. Number, number seven, you can provoke your child to anger by failing to allow for some growing up. What does that mean? Let them goof off a little. Let them make mistakes. John MacArthur talks about his son, Matt, who 
flushed his watch down the toilet. Johnny Mac asked his son, what? why did you do that? And his son said, well, I wanted to see what it would look like going down the toilet. And Johnny Mac didn't spank him. He, he said, you know, I, that probably would have been interesting to watch. <laughs> Uh, my high school uh, science teacher, my physics teacher, uh, excuse me, my, my biology teacher, told me about when he was a kid, he and his buddies washed one of the ducks that they had on their, on their property. And they put it back in the water, and the duck sank. They thought that was interesting. They got one of the other ducks, they washed the duck with the, uh, the soap and the detergent, put duck number two in the water, and the duck sank. Yeah, they died. Seven ducks. <laughs> Is it appropriate that this individual went into science? They didn't know that removing the oil from the duck's feathers would, you know, not allow the duck to be buoyant. And that's what happened. But they were, they were just curious children. They, did, they didn't understand the implications. They didn't understand the death of an animal. You know, I'm sure there were some repercussions. Uh, but, again, it just illustrates that kids are going to do stupid things. Kids are going to... A lot of times, kids will do stupid things not out of disobedience, but because they're kids. And they, they just don't know better. So, I think we have to give rooms for them to, to fail. Um, number eight, we can provoke our children to anger by neglect. Think about David and Absalom. David spent no time with him, no time shaping him, and D Absalom ultimately hated his fashion, hated, hated his father with a passion, and tried to dethrone his father. He staged a coup against him. Neglect. What's the worst type of neglect is inconsistent discipline or absence of training. And you'll notice that whenever I use the word discipline, I use the word training. Because the Greek word implies the training that would be involved in athletic endeavors in a gymnasium. And we take the word discipline and we think, you know, applying the rod of discipline or the, what is it, the rod of education to the board of knowledge or something like that. Yeah. The Board of Education to the Seat of Knowledge. There we go. It's not, always, it's not always a spanking. Number nine, you can provoke your children to anger by abusive words. I've got another family member who, whose father uh, told this individual when they were just a little kid, you are worthless. And that family member today, multiple decades later, if they recounted that story, they would tear up. Um, some of you know that uh, I was not raised in a godly home, and um, there was a lot of abusive language there. Um, but by God's grace, we don't have to repeat those errors. We have our own errors. Abusive words. And then number 10, physical abuse. An angry child is often beaten, abused, overzealously punished, usually from an angry, vengeful parent who only cares that he has been inconvenienced or irritated, 
Not that the child needs appropriate correction for their own good. Well, there are some extra free ones here. Spoiling them, bailing them out whenever they get in trouble. Criticizing other people openly. Being critical, snobbish, domineering, illegalistic. Creating a really hostile and poisonous environment. If you want an accident-prone child, fight with each other, ignore the child, and the child might hurt themselves to get attention. So, again, this is all the negative side of Ephesians 6.4. How do we exasperate our children? What do we avoid? And if, those, if, you, if you in this classroom have experienced some of these very things, I hope that you will escape that cycle of abuse and instead learn from that and watch the power of God be manifested in your life so that you can instead avoid the sin of exasperation. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about the positive side, raising the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Well, we need to leave focusing in that direction. Raising our children to be in but not of the world. Parenting is tough. It's one of the greatest challenges, raising kids who are able to exist in this world without being of it. And key, number one, prioritize your marriage. Prioritize your marriage. There's a quote that you have on the screen. Children should be able to see the gospel model in the way their father loves their mother with a sacrificial love. And of course, the compliment to that is that the mother loving her husband in a way that Christ has his people coming in line after him and submitting to him. Make time for them. Make time for them. Focus more on sharing experiences than exchanging stuff. Interesting that we're saying this at Christmas time. Don't be too easily dismayed or too easily impressed. They're sinners. Don't give them a big head and don't deflate the balloon. Remember that their rebellion is first against God, not against you. It's not that you're being embarrassed that your child is expressing rebellion against God. Give them grace. God has been gracious with you. Give your child grace. Pray, 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 pray. Did I say pray? Pray. Pray for them. Pray for yourself. Pray for the external uh, influences in their lives and give them good ones. Expect that God will save them. Now, when I say that, what I mean is this. God promises to honor his word. His word will not return void. If you're putting your child in a place where the word of God, the gospel is proclaimed, you should expect that God will honor that good seed and you pray that God has that seed go into good soil, the soil of their heart. But don't rush them to a profession of faith. Better to delay. And better to delay with regard to baptism as well. Right? Bless you. So, family devotions. One of the tools that God has given us 
is family devotions. Family devotions matter even though it doesn't always feel like they matter. Family devotions make a difference even though they don't always feel like they make a difference. We can make family devotions a priority. Now, I've asked Kurt and Nancy Schinnebarger to come on up, and we're going to do a little interview with Kurt and Nancy, who will freely admit that they are not perfect parents, although the rest of them look at, the rest of us look at them and say, are you sure about that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know about that. If you've not had a chance to meet Kurt and Nancy, I do want to encourage you to do that. I believe this is Josh's mic, number 15, it says here. There we go. That sounds like we have sound on. I'll give this to the brave, lovely Ty. Lovely Ty. Very good. All right. So, um, Kurt and Nancy, for people um, who don't know you, when did, when did you two become Christians? Um, I would say, uh, if I had to give a time, it would be when I was eight years old. Uh, God planted the seed at that point in time, and like most of us, it's been a roller coaster since then, but I've been on a growing in my faith since then. And I was raised in a liberal Presbyterian church, but it was very much a part of our lives. Like, we even went to church on Wednesday <laughs> in a Presbyterian <laughs> church. So um, I knew a lot of head knowledge, but I didn't understand a relationship till probably junior high. And my sister got involved with Young Life and campaigners, and that was influential in my life as well. So God provided a godly friend, so that was good. Well, for those of us who don't know you and your family, tell us about your children, about how old and where they are and how they're following Christ. Uh, We had five. Uh, Rachel attends here. She's 35. Uh, Number two is Rebecca. Uh, She would be 33. She uh, went home to be with the Lord uh, eight years ago now. Uh, We've got twins, Nathan and Noah. They are 26. Uh, Nathan is in Boston, and he is uh, on the Elder Council. He leads singing in his church in Boston. Uh, Noah is uh, involved in his church. He just recently had a child, and so he's uh, kind of overwhelmed with parenting at the moment. Uh, and then Elizabeth is 24, and she and her husband are involved in their church as well. Okay. Well, you've seen God's faithfulness in uh, your lives, um, calling your children to himself. From your perspective, what tools, um, what means has God used to establish each, of one, each one as his child? Well, I think the predominant thing, I think, is not to us, not to us, but to your name be the glory. Because I feel like it doesn't matter. There's not a formula of what you do, and you do X, and this makes godly children. We have a lot of dear friends that we love, including just lots of them that have raised children in the fear and the knowledge of the Lord. And at this point in time, their lives don't reflect holiness. And we know that God's word is never returned void, and that that isn't... um, a guarantee? Yeah, there's just not a guarantee, but I think he calls us to be faithful. And I mean, we look back and we say, were we faithful? And we have to say, there were times we weren't. You know, there were times where it was crazy and we loved sleep and we said, well, golly, we were up six times last night. Do we have to, you know, do it? So um, 
Did we strive for faithfulness? Yes. I think it's really important, and I'm really thankful that as a couple, our kids are out of the house for the most part, and I still treasure the time we spend in prayer together in the morning before he leaves for work, you know, and so it doesn't have to be child-centered, you know, it starts with the two of you coming together, or, you know, and just humbling yourself and learning together, and and just showing you're not dependent on your own strength, but just his strength to just live life, you know, the day-to-day life. Um, and I think that more is caught than taught, you know, so we did have a lot of formal instruction. And, and I mean, we felt like God called us to homeschool because of in Deuteronomy, it just talks about t- t- talking to your kids when you rise up and when you sit down, when you walk by the way. And... Um, we just felt like we could be more available to pour into their lives and confront their sinful hearts <laughs> if we were there beside them. And it wasn't to say we didn't realize that there were benefits they were missing that were in a normal school, because there are, and we're not saying everybody was called to that. That was just what God called us to do as part of our journey. Um, but we did have a lot of different curriculums that we used, a lot of books that we used to help us with the kids, have fun, and do studies, and there were years, I mean, it was years where we would wake the kids up at 6 o'clock, and particular children would just go back to bed and complain and argue, and don't pray so long, and da, 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 da. Hold are you saying family devotions weren't always fun and exciting, no, and just, sometimes mom and like, dad, thanks so it'd much. It'd be easier if we let them slap in the But, you know, just faithfulness, not results, you know, just being faithful to try to keep going to the word, and, and, uh, yeah, thankfully, there's so many different resources. We brought some that we use. There are tons of wonderful resources. And most resources, like everything else, you have to be a Berean. Like, you like 85% of it. And there's some lessons you're like, hmm, let's skip that one. Or let's rewrite it. <laughs> They're not reading it. Let's rewrite that. <laughs> oh, but I don't know if that's helpful. Yeah. I, I, I forget the question, but just to add a, a couple of two cents, I, I agree with one of the things that that Dan said earlier. Only was, one, just. just. Yeah. Pray, 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 pray. I mean, we, we, we were praying before the children were born. Uh, we, our, our families were praying. Uh, we, from the very get-go, uh, when we put the kids to, to bed, uh, we prayed with them. My grandchild, uh, who's uh, not one yet, they have devotions with him. They sing a song, they read a story, and they pray. And he's not even one yet. He doesn't know what's going on, but they're establishing the habit. And I think that starting early is a, is a big deal. Uh, and as far as uh, one of the things Dan said, was it, was it always fun? We, uh, there were, when they were young, you would have to if you will, entertain them somewhat. We read missionary stories. We, the Bible story book was very simple. Um, we, uh, it was, if you will, more, if you will, fun at that point in time. Uh, there was an entertainment value, but uh, we did start early. I, I would say another thing that I think was good for us that really isn't so much devotion related, I think Awana played a big part in our kids' lives. They... They made it fun. Their, their, uh, Awana is a program that's uh, actually not at this church, but um, it, it, it takes little kids from, uh, what, four or five, three, 
uh, through high school, and they memorize God's Word, and that put it in their heart, and um, that, uh, I think that was a very good thing that uh, my wife's idea, she comes up with all the good ideas, but um, I think that was another thing that we did that was very helpful. Um, so I rambled there. I forget the answer to the question. And, and of course, our church. <laughs> you know, we moved here, and we moved from Indy when he finished med school, and we were looking for a church, and we went to one, and they had some theology that wasn't right, and we're like, this isn't right, and, and God provided faith. And we're just thankful that, that they were taught from the word early on, you know, the value of God's word, and that that's the standard. And I was talking to one of our kids yesterday, and I said, what would you say if you had to say this? And he goes, I think it's really good that you did really highly esteem God's word, because he goes, as adults, or not adults, but as older children, we were able to confront you and dad and say, what do you think about this? Do you think this lines up with God's word? And he said, I think that's good that if it's respectful that they can come to you and challenge you in and that's hard. I remember Rebecca was in the hospital and she asked me, was I being nice to somebody that wasn't really giving her adequate care? And I was like, oh yeah, great. I mean, it was good, but it was horrible. <laughs> Anything else? Any final encouragement you would give to young families or even parents of older children? I, I would say from a parent's standpoint, uh, God's got rebellious children. We're all rebellious children. And so it's, I think, faithfulness, not results. Um, I think we're called to be faithful uh, and leave the results to God. Um, and that's tough at times. It's really tough at times. Uh, but um, I think we are called to be faithful. And I would say, don't grow weary of doing good. It's kind of the same thing. But like our, some of our children left home, and we were under the full understanding that they were believers. They had made professions of faith. They weren't um, pursuing clearly unworldly things. Um, but one of those kids became a believer the first week he was at Cedarville, which is a Christian college, which we really are thankful that our kids were able to attend a Christian college. That was a good thing for our kids. But... One became a believer then, and the other one became a believer after, she, after Rebecca died. So, you know, just the fruit of even God. I mean, Rebecca was really a, a mature, godly lady at a young age. And, and um, you know, you hate to lose a child, but you're thankful for the fruit. One other thing, and we could go back and forth for a long time, but I think you have to walk it like you talk it. Um, you have to be consistent in what you say. You can't say one thing and do another. Um, and I think they see that in your lives. Um, and so, and, and that's tough. Like, like Nancy said, I mean, uh, I was called out. To, in, in, you can look at the Bible from different perspectives, but, um, you know, I've been called out a couple of times on, well, Dad, you're doing this, but the Bible says this. What do you think about that? And, uh, and they did it respectfully, but at the same time, it, it made me accountable. Um, and so I, I think that you have to be consistent in what you're, uh, what you're doing is what you're saying. But they love to learn, so just play. Enjoy them. They're so much fun, and they grow so fast, and 
just play, have fun, be, you know, make them, make them want to be with you. I mean, but you're not their friend. <laughs> you're still the tough guy. You still are, you know, but yeah, just enjoy them. There's, there's so many things that want to steal their attention, and especially electronics, like he was saying, that we just really limited them. We found the more they had electronics, the more they wanted. It was crazy, but they, we limited, and the more they had their limit, it's like, oh, I want more. I'm like, oh, goodness. But um, yeah, just enjoy. One more quick story, and we're going to run over time. Um, the, you, you can learn from them. Um, this is Becca when she was very small. She was probably five. Uh, and she and Grandma went someplace. I don't know where they went. They went grocery shopping or someplace. Uh, and uh, Grandma couldn't find her way home. We just recently moved here. And she was going to stop someplace and call. Uh, we didn't have cell phones back then. Um, and Becca said, well, Grandma, we should just stop and pray. God will show us the way back home. And you can learn things from them. I mean, just the simple things. You can really learn things from them as well. Well, thank you so much. Uh, the Schindenbargers are available for consulting. Uh, their fees are quite reasonable. Uh, and we're very... We're very thankful for the Schindenbargers, uh, one of the founding uh, families of Faith Bible Church, and we're appreciative for um, other families as well. Yeah, there are different circumstances, different careers, different schedules, and I think one of the key things is, as Kurt said, you know, and, and really Nancy as well, being faithful, trusting God for the results.